millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome again. My name is Todd Nettleton. We are in our studio today with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the Middle East Regional Director here at the Voice of the Martyrs, so he oversees all of our work in the Middle East region. Aaron has been with us before, actually before worked in South Asia, so this is kind of a, a new title for him, a new part of the world. Aaron, welcome back to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you, Todd. It's always good to be with you. And Aaron is just back from the Middle East, uh, literally within just a few hours ago. He's He's got his eyes open. The, the jet lag is fading. So we're going to talk about his trip. And Aaron, I want to jump right in with uh, a very interesting story that you heard from a person on your trip, a person who used to be Sunni, used to be Shia, and is now a follower of Jesus, there can't be that many people in the world who meet all those criteria. Talk about this brother. Definitely, Todd. It was a, an honor and a joy to sit with him and his wife. They were a kind of a cute couple to watch. They were playful. They were smiling. There was a communication of affection between them that kind of surprised me in that part of the world, just yeah, from things I've, I've known. that doesn't always happen in that part of the exactly. world. Exactly. So he was very open about the, the story. He had started out as a Sunni follower of Islam, and through some events that happened, he began to look around, and he he looked at the, the beliefs of Shia followers, and he thought, if they're right, um, then they're living this thing more correctly. And so he began to study and dig, and he, he's, a, he's a theologian. And he, because of his conversion, he spent some time in prison uh, in Sunni countries because he became Shia. And so it landed him in, in jail with Sunni governments putting him in jail. Uh, then he ends up going to Iran and staying in Iran for a little while. And he said it was almost like he was a celebrity. He was treated as a <laughs> VIP because he had converted you know, from Sunni to, to Shia. Even though he was doing this, there was always something kind of missing, but that's not really something you communicate. Crazy story. He said he actually connected with a Buddhist monk in India. So he, he delved into Buddhism a little bit. He said he has, uh, he read some Hindu holy books. He, he was kind of walking away from all Middle Eastern origin religions. And so he didn't even really consider Christianity for a while until someone uh, through the internet encouraged him, hey, you, you really need to read the teachings of Jesus. You need to read what Jesus says. I love the fact that he's a studier, obviously. Absolutely. Like, like he's not just going to take someone's word for it. He's digging in. He's looking at all the original sources. When he started to look at Jesus, what was it yeah. that was like, hey, this is this is the real thing. This has got everything you need. So as we talked, he was quoting Scripture from Matthew seven sixteen, where it says, you'll know them by their fruits. And he said he spent 20 plus years studying with his head down in books and in philosophy and in religion, religious study. But he, he said, I, I looked up and this, this was so simple. 
He said, it's not easy, but it was so simple and wise when Jesus says, you'll know them by their fruits. And I looked up and I looked at the Islamic world and the fruits, the reality of what's really happening in that world. He said, I just knew. And then I knew that this guy is not just a prophet. This guy has wisdom that funny in his words he said it's from another galaxy <laughs> i don't know where he got that but so so he understood that that wisdom in that statement from jesus there was a depth to it and a richness to it and a truthfulness to it and so that led him to begin looking at jesus as the as the lord was there a price that he paid for that definitely they had to flee secretly from iran they're kind of stuck if they go to his original home country, they will know what he's done over these years. They'll track that down, and he would be in danger. He's doing some teaching through a local church. He's connected with some believers. He's, he's helping. He's learning. He's being discipled. He's discipling his wife. It was really cool to have her sit in with us and, and be able to ask her some questions because he had jumped so many times, you know, from Sunni and, and Islam. And caused so much trouble for her. Oh, man, absolutely. From Sunni to Buddhism to looking into Hinduism to all this stuff. And and so she was very reluctant. And, and he said he even stopped trying to pull her along when he's reading and studying the Bible at home and things. And so then she saw a transformation in him, in his behavior, in his character, in his treatment of, of their family. And so then she started to, they jokingly said, she started to like look over his shoulder in the morning when he would read and, and see, what is this book he's reading? And so she began to get curious on her own, which of course was the Lord just doing, drawing her in. Yeah. What were some of the other people that you met on this visit to the Middle East? Wow. There were so many. A really impactful moment for me was we met a man who lost his son in the last year and a half. He was killed while smuggling Bibles. Uh, oh, wow. They were taking Bibles into Iran, and when his son was killed, the son's wife was pregnant and about to, to deliver a child, their second child. And the child has been born. He's a boy. As we were finishing up, we asked this brother, how can we pray for you? He said to us, he said, I'm an old man, and I am praying and asking the Lord to give me the strength for this assignment to raise my grandson. We want the Bible to go into Iran, yes. Would you give your son to see that happen? Uh, he did give his son to he see did. that happen. He what, did. What was his attitude and his spirit about that? They, as a family, decided through prayer and through counsel with other Christian leaders in their groups that the best way for healing for the daughter and for the family was for them to continue. They, they store Bibles in their home currently. They had just sent a, a large number in a few days before we arrived. We're in the corner of their kitchen. I'm looking at these stacks of, of Bibles in boxes that are ready to go. So they haven't pulled back at all. Wow. Uh, I think of Hebrews 10.39 where it says, you know, we're not of those who shrink back. And they haven't shrunk back at all. In fact, they said that her going in after um, her husband had been killed was a part of her healing in this. That It takes me a moment to process that. I mean, just if if she had said, you know what, I have a son, I, I have two children, I, I, can't, I can't put myself at risk, 
we all would have said, oh, absolutely. We totally understand that. Absolutely. And yet for her to say, no, this work has to go on. There was still grief. Mm -hmm. It's not that she's superhero or that their faith is different than our faith, but man, they're just pressing on. They're just doing what they know that the Lord wants them to do. And I think that's what inspired me. That's what really touched Mm -hmm. my heart. Uh, Aaron, I want to talk about refugees for a minute. We have We've talked about Syrian refugees before. We know in Iraq, uh, I think of the city of Mosul, which for so many months was controlled by ISIS. So many Christians fled from Mosul. What is the situation now as far as some of the the displaced people and the refugees? What's their status now, especially the Christians? They're still there. Um, It's an issue that governments are dealing with. I met with one lady in her home, and the home was very simple. There were just cushions on a floor, concrete floor, and she's got a vibrant ministry that she's reaching out to other refugee ladies. And I asked, what's the risk? What's the risk for you? And she said, well, in this country that I'm in, the government wouldn't do anything. They, they watch me, but they wouldn't do anything except send me back into Syria. But once I'm back in Syria, then I'll probably be killed, hurt really badly, It's gotten to the point where she doesn't go out alone in public because the people in her neighborhood, she doesn't live in a camp. She lives in a neighborhood now. She's resettled. The people know what she's doing, and so they're very aware. So she's she's also taking precautions. But she had a chance to leave and and immigrate to the the U.S., and she didn't. She turned it down. She turned it down. Wow. And she said, the people of this country need me more than people in that country. And that stunned me as well. I, I, I really was sort of speechless for a couple minutes to, to hear her say that and then to look around where she was living, the material place she was living. And I thought, this lady has an eternal perspective that I don't often have. What about, and I'm thinking of the city of Mosul because I had the chance to interview some Christians from Mosul after they fled. We know ISIS has been kicked out of Mosul What's left? Are there Christians going back, or is it, or is it just so destroyed that there's nothing to go back to? Yeah, um, there are believers in Mosul, and we're hearing that some of them are hearing about Christ, and they're running. They their families find out they have to run. So the believers who've come to faith over the last ten, eleven years, they are spreading the message. They are sharing the hope that they have. So people are coming to faith. What kinds of projects is Voice of the Martyrs doing to help some of those new believers and and even to help some of the displaced Christians from 10 or 11 years now? It's yeah. not, you know, a few months, a few weeks. It's years. Yeah, one, one thing we're doing, we're helping people who are ministry-minded, who are gospel-focused, to do humanitarian relief things with the goal of still keeping the gospel as the main emphasis. Um, And that's not always easy. There are organizations that believe the gospel, and then they think God has told them to just go and do the humanitarian part, and just through loving people that God will impact. And, And he does. He works through that. That's not really who we are trying to partner with. We're trying to partner with those people who are doing things like giving food packets, giving school supplies to kids, But we're trying to find those who are doing it with the clear intent to share the gospel. Mm -hmm. And they're doing that at great risk. 
um, because those things, not only would those things be shut down, but those, those people would either be deported if they're gospel workers, expat gospel workers, or they would be you know, sent back to Syria if they're refugees, or if they're from that home country, they certainly could be arrested or, or suffer persecution. I think of one, one group we're working with, and they told me that they originally came to the country just to learn Arabic. They were going to learn Arabic, and then they were going to go somewhere else. While they were there learning Arabic, the refugee crisis happened, and they are they're gospel workers from an from outside country, from the West. This one lady said, I knew God was telling me I had to be a part of this and do something about it, <laughs> but I didn't know how. I was just there to learn language, and, and her language wasn't that great. So then she started to share. She said, so we just... We took part-time jobs in the country. They started doing things like teaching an exercise class, teaching an art class, um, giving some private tutor lessons for English to earn money because they didn't have ministry budget to buy food. So they started buying food, and she said they traveled to a border town. They got connected with 25 family, refugee families, and they said, we're going to provide you food as long as we can. And that's wow. what they did. And they did it, though, with a clear focus on the gospel telling these people as they're giving them food, mm-hmm. we're going to share the gospel. And that, that comes with a great risk. It comes with great risk. It is also an amazing way to build relationship because it is not a, you know, sort of stop and drop and then leave. It is ongoing, weekly, yes. monthly encounters and conversations and knowing the names and knowing the kids' names and knowing their birthdays and knowing about their background, knowing where they came from, really having a relationship that gives you the chance to have those gospel conversations. The two ladies I was talking with, they they shared with me that they had been in relationship doing this ministry for four years, very small, under the radar, not a big organization. They aren't professional humanitarian workers. <laughs> They're just doing what they God told them to do. They to stay in the country. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it was four years before they saw anyone except the Lord. And one lady they shared with, they went into her home and they shared food and they immediately went into their gospel presentation. And the lady from Syria said, at 14, I wanted to know more about Jesus while I was in my home country, but I couldn't. I couldn't find anywhere to learn more about Jesus. And now you're here. I'm so excited you're here. Please come back. Tell me more. And so that led into relationship also. So you're right about that, that relational and it's, it just takes time. Aaron, I know we don't get wrapped up in in politics, and obviously this is outside our control, but, you know, I think of literally millions of Syrians who are not in Syria right now. They're in Jordan. They're in Lebanon. They're in Turkey. They're in Iraq. Is is there a long-term way that they get to go back home, or is is this a permanent situation where they just know, I can never go back? Yeah, I think a lot of them are settled that they may not go back. They don't know. see a future there. No. We met with one brother who has started a, a small business. Um, we actually were able to help him. He, he had to leave Syria. And so now he has started a very small business, and he's providing for his family. And we, we met him, and he shared that he knows of churches, uh, house church-type gatherings in Syria, and he said, I need 2,000 Bibles to send them. They're, they're hungry for Bibles. Is there any way you guys could help me get Bibles to them? 
And, of course, we just got a big smile on our face. He even brought up a map of, of Syria, like, on his on his computer and started pointing out places to us. They, they need them there and there and there. And we just got a big smile on our face. We said, I think we can help you with that. So um, That sounds like a need we can help meet. Exactly. So I don't know that they're thinking they can go back. I didn't meet – I didn't hear any of, any of that from any of the brothers and sisters I met with. But but what I did hear was there's still a heart – to, to reach back in. There's still a way to stay connected and to, to be a part of what God's doing in that country. When you come back from a trip like this, what are the things that stick with you? I mean, you talked a little bit about just the idea of, of praying for strength to do what you need to do every day. Yeah. What are some other things that, that you brought home with you from the Middle East? I, I still go back to what can man do to us? Man can do a lot to us. I've met people who man has done a lot to, mm-hmm. but God is still victorious. And I still sat with a couple who had joy and actually have seen their marriage transformed. They're a joyful, kind of playful marriage. And it, it just continues to push me to say, when I think God is not meeting the needs that I see on a day, or when I think God is not showing up the way I expected him to or wanted him to, that's not true. He's still working. He's still doing things. Honestly, on this trip, that's what I, I came back with, that there may be days where I, I don't like the assignment that I'm given from the Lord, but it's given from him, and he wants me to walk in that, and he'll walk with me. There may be days where I don't feel like he's working, but I know he's working. Probably sounds cliche, but you know, I mean, Todd, you can see my face. It's it's heartfelt, and it, it is genuine. And when I sit with those brothers and sisters, it's genuine in their faces, too. How do we pray? Uh, how do we pray for that region and some of the things we've talked about, some of the people we've talked about today? How do, how do our listeners pray for these situations? Obviously, we want to pray that God continues to bring bold people to share the message, like the, the ladies sharing the gospel. And that's happening. I think the thing I would ask our listeners to pray, there was a a man that we met, and he's suffering a lot of harassment in his neighborhood. And he's struggling with this idea, should I flee? Should I go to the West or not? And that's a a big thing that a a lot of our brothers and sisters in the Middle East wrestle with. Can I leave? I could leave. How do I leave? Should I win? And we hear some that say, yes, they they will flee, and they're okay with it. And then we hear some who say, no, I won't, I'll stay. And we don't judge either of them. You know, the Holy Spirit will lead them. Um, but this brother was really, he's wrestling with it right now. So pray for people wrestling with that decision. Do I go? When do I go? How do I go? Open doors, all of that. But he also had a neighbor who came to him who had harassed him in public in his neighborhood. The neighbor came to him privately and said, I know you're right. Right to follow Jesus. Wow. Privately, the neighbor said, I know you're right. I know that Islam is a lie, but the cost is too high for me. So I would ask our listeners, please pray for those people whose hearts are sensing that this is true, but they just feel like the risk is too high, is too great. The cost is too great because that's a deception. Yeah, The cost is not too great. Um, Christ is worth it. He's worthy. We know that. My burden is easy and my yoke is light. Yes, yes. 
You know, Aaron, as you say that, I, I think back to one of my first visits to northern Iraq, and we met a pastor there, and I asked him that question, okay, how can we pray? The very first thing he said, and I, I don't think I'll ever forget it, he said, pray that God will call Christians to stay here. Mm, yep. uh, and this was during the height of ISIS times when, yeah. you know, logically it made 100% sense to leave and go to the West and, Definitely. and be out of there. But he said, pray that God will call Christians to stay here. It sounds like that prayer is still an important one still. even today. Yes. Is there any other stories or, or any one? Is, is there one that you're just like, man, I didn't get to that one? <laughs> uh, Todd, how did you know? Because I want to give you the time to share what's on your heart. There was a young lady we met with. I say young, uh, in her late 20s, early 30s. She had a quote that just stuck with me, and she said, I want to go to the max with God. I, I don't understand how Christians can fear death. And and I started talking with her. We're having this conversation with her, and she has this ministry. It's really funny. She's using social media, so late 20s, early 30s. You know, She's using the technology of the day to get out the gospel. Two or three times, she's been banned from some very popular social media platforms. Wow. Like she, there's a recklessness about her, but it it's like redeemed and it's yeah. kind of joyful and passionate. Like and, a holy recklessness. Yeah, yeah. We've been in relationship with this young lady for some time, helping her because she did end up losing a job. And so the people who introduced us to her said, well, you know, you, they may ask you to sort of tone it down a little bit. And I laughed. I, at, it, at the table, I laughed out loud. I said, oh, that's not us. We're not, as, <laughs> we're not asking her to tone down anything. Yeah. If God wants to use her, use her the way he leads her. We're not controlling any of that. And so, you know, we, we talked about wisdom and things like that. But she said, I want to go to the max with God. And she's had her life threatened. She said, the attacks that come against me, um, I actually enjoy them. And I said, wait a minute, wait, 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 we got to get to that. Did that get translated correctly? Yes. And of course they did. They said, yes, it translated correctly. I said, okay, then you have to explain. What do you mean you enjoy the attacks? And she said, it gives me a taste of Jesus. Wow. When I'm attacked for my faith, it gives me a taste of Jesus. And I mean, she, she had a smile on her face as she said it. There was no like sorrow or heaviness with her. Um, she was just joyful and, and energetic and vibrant, and she challenged me. She challenged me to think a little differently about how I share the gospel. I'm, I'm reminded of uh, Richard and Sabina Wormbrand, the founders of Voice of the Martyrs, praying that they could have carry a little bit of, of Jesus' cross. It sounds like she is carrying it and, and finding it joyful, which is amazing. It is amazing. It is. Aaron, I always look forward to our conversations, whether we're recording them or, or whether we're just in the office talking. Thank you for your passion. Thank you for being willing to, to be transparent about how you're impacted uh, by the stories that you hear. And thank you for being our guest. Todd, it's always fun. And uh, I pray that the Lord blesses this and continues to bless your ministry. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us, as believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. 
This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted.